Welcome to a place where you'll leave feeling whole. The Counseling Podcast brings at-home counseling right to you, focusing on self-care, self-expression, and breaking down barriers. Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes bring over 20 years of combined experience and a new sense of style to the word counseling. The two use humor and lighthearted conversation to explore these deeper feelings. Let's take the stigma away from counseling together. Hello, and welcome to the Counseling Podcast. I am Dr. Jacqueline. Today we have a special guest, Akiba Smith, and she's going to share information on EMDR therapy. So Akiba, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. um, So my name is Akiba Smith. I'm a licensed mental health counselor located here in Central Florida, and I am also an EMDR-trained therapist. Great. So for our listeners, can you um, tell us what EMDR is? Okay. So EMDR stands for Eye Movement, Desensitization, and Reprocessing. You know, sometimes it's mistaken for hypnosis, but that's not what it is at all, by all means. Um, EMDR mostly focus on individuals who might have experienced um, a childhood traumatic experience um, or event, or even in their adulthood might have experienced some degree of a traumatic experience. And um, it's often known to be used and very effective as well with PTSD. So um, EMDR, it definitely uh, addresses a wide range of trauma overall. There's a specific um, phase of EMDR that's called bilateral stimulation. And during that phase, that's where a lot of the reprocessing take place. And pretty much what it is, is to help to reactivate um, the memories that's linked around whatever the traumatic experience was and pretty much help the client to be able to reprocess and work through the way how that memory was stored. Typically, it's stored in a maladaptive way, which might be affecting how they deal today. So maybe certain symptoms might come about, certain behaviors, lack of, and so forth. So we just use that process to really help them to reactivate, re-stimulate that memory, and reprocess, work through it. Is there any certain issue that you see that EMDR really works best with, with what clients are bringing to you, what what type of trauma? I don't know if I would say so much what type of trauma. Um, Sometimes what what I would say is um, a lot of the times or many times when clients have experienced some type of a traumatic event, there is some degree of disassociation that takes place. And with that being said, um, we often try to make sure that the clients are within their window of tolerance. Um, they're not hypo, hyper, um, you know, uh, simulated, simulated where they're not able to tolerate treatment per se. So the idea is to make sure that they are within that window of tolerance prior to engaging in this reprocessing phase. So I would more say that's a huge factor uh, versus one traumatic event per se over another. So dissociation is a very broad <laughs> definition. Um, to some degree, we all disassociate. 
I don't know if you ever experienced driving on the road um, and maybe kind of gazed out for a bit. Um, and it's like you come back through and you're like, where am I? When did I even reach here? Like, you know, so in, to some degree, that's that's disassociation um, a bit more lightly. Um, now, when it comes to individuals who have experienced trauma, sometimes what happens is it's like they're reliving that particular trauma. They're visualizing, they're seeing, they're feeling, they're smelling, they're sensing themselves being back in that particular event. So once they're not in that reality phase, once they're not in, that, in this present phase, is here and now, which is disassociation, then, you know, we we try not to, that's not the best time, in other words, um, to do a reprocessing because that means that they're out of their window of tolerance. So we try to make sure that they're grounded, they're here, and to pretty much bring them back into the here and now. So disassociation could look, you know, many different ways, look like many different things, but in general, um, it's more along that lines of making sure they're grounded. So have you seen in therapy your clients feeling comfortable with that, or how do you introduce your your clients to this process? So a lot of psychoeducation, um, you know, sometimes I might provide them with a pamphlet for them to actually look through and see what each of those fates looks like. Um, they might have, I might have a mini video for them to see it, um, see if they have any questions. So prior to jump right in, making sure that I provide them with that information in which, to be honest with you, in a lot of cases, many clients, they have done their homework. So when they're looking for EMDR therapists, it's because they're aware of what it looks like. And because it differs a bit from traditional talk therapy, and they feel as if, you know, they would like to try a different type of modality, um, that's typically what takes place. So psychoeducation is one of my biggest um, steps before going into that reprocessing phase. I don't use EMDR, I refer out. And I know for me, I'm used to maybe sometimes clients like we call them homework assignments and they go home and what can you implement to help you practice certain things to help you kind of heal um, in the moment. So is there anything that you also give your clients um, to use to implement at home? Is there anything from EMDR that they can also like practice being present or different um, activities like that? Yes. And that's one of the reasons why um, I do adore, I really do like EMDR because um, there, there are many different modalities, believe it or not, that when it comes to EMDR, it, it is it, to a degree is integrated. Um, there's some CBT work, some somatic work, like there's so many different things. And one of the things that um as a homework assignment, I love to give because I even have a lot of clients, for example, that might come with anxiety or depression. And after doing some exploration, you could see where it might've been linked to some type of an event that happened, a traumatic event that happened in your life. And, you know, over the years or months or whatever the case is, it just kind of, you know, continue on until they start experiencing these type of symptoms. Um, so I do a lot of relaxation technique, a lot of, um, you know, body awareness, just being in tune, understanding what's taking place with your body. Um, you know, I, a lot of relaxation, breathing, um, deep breathing exercises. That's something um, that I tend to use a lot of. And just being, um, just being attuned to what's happening in your body. 
One of the things that I've noticed that with a lot of our clients, we have those that's very logical. They're very, you know, they're thinkers. It's like they're so everything they try to analyze and think and not so much be in tune with what's happening to them physically. And then you have others that might be more emotionally driven, but the logical piece, not really so much. So, you know, it's so important to have that connection. So that's one of the things, again, that I do like to tell them in between sessions, you know, I might give them an assignments, um, even sometimes even certain type of worksheets where they're able just to kind of be by themselves and just be aware of what's happening, being able to identify that when they, they're thinking a certain way, how are you feeling in your body? Where are you feeling this in your body and vice versa? So those are a few assignments that I would tend to um, assign in between sessions. I actually um, use this as an example. Just imagine for a second that someone who might have, you know, someone living in an apartment building and that apartment building, they had a fire. You know, that person, that individual don't know what's going to happen. All they know is that they're in their apartment. They can't get out right now. There's a fire. They're smelling um, the, the, the smoke, um, they're feeling the heat within their bodies. They, they all together, they just, you know, don't know what's happening. So they have that fear that's overtaking them. Needless to say, you know, everything worked out to the point where they're able to leave out of that apartment and they continue on with their life. Now, let's say later on, they were invited to a, a bonfire, for example, and everything is fine. They're with friends. They're having a really good time. All of a sudden, they notice that they're feeling, you know, this, this discomfort. You know, they're, they're starting to smell that smoke again. Granted, they're by that bonfire. But at the same time, they're feeling this tension in their body. They're feeling this heat in their body. So there could be certain triggers that happen later on. And what's likely is that that experience that they're having around that bonfire, sometimes not even having that connection is almost like reliving itself within them because of the trigger of being around that fire. It's starting to, because our, our, our minds, our bodies, it, we're, it's so powerful that without even realizing it a lot of the time, again, it has that memory component where, you know, remember this specific event might've happened. So even without a person being aware, it doesn't mean that the body and the mind doesn't remember what took place prior. So sometimes that, I mean, something like that would be a really good um, example of how your body can relive that physiological response that it might've experienced, you know, a couple months or years ago, just by this little event, which what's supposed to be a very, you know, happy go time you're spending with your family and your friends or whatever the case is. But again, your body just remember what happened and it tends to react a certain way. Doesn't happen with everyone, but it definitely is something that does happen with many of our clients. And it kind of brings me to if we were, if our listeners were kind of, you know, wondering when is a good time to seek therapy and I'm not sure if I'm ready or but it sounds like, you know, when when those triggers become more intense um, and when it starts to impact their daily routine, that would be a great time to say, you know what, I'm ready to get this out, to talk to someone. Exactly. And, and that's exactly what I would say, too. The moment it starts becoming a disruption to your daily life, you 
that would be a, definitely a great time to start seeing someone, even if it's just a consultation, to reach out and, and, and try to receive some assistance at that point. So I do agree with you there. So EMDR consists of eight phases. The thing about it is for some, depending on what it is that they, you know, a person comes to therapy for, it could look a little bit differently. For example, phase one is typically the history gathering, almost like you're biopsychosocial, but specifically geared towards the targets as to what it is that you do want to treat in the EMDR session. Um, in session two, phase two is more of like preparing the clients for what is to come. What does it really look like to go through all of these phases? So the bilateral, you know, depending on what that looks like for the client, there are different types. So you take in consideration which one the client is more comfortable with. So again, that mostly making sure that they're well-resourced, having a coping mechanism in place. So in between sessions, if they feel a bit agitated or activated, they have a way of dealing with, you know, um, what it is that they're feeling. Now, phase three has to do with assessing the target memory. So this is where you really focus in on what that memory is that you're reprocessing. So it's, it's a bit more structured and we focus on a memory at a time just to make sure that we're effectively addressing each of, almost like your treatment plan, right? Each specific goal of, of treatment. Um, and then phase four to seven, those phases kind of goes hand in hand. That's where you start processing the memory and try to reinstall a more adaptive, try to reinstall, yeah, and try to uh, install a more adaptive way of, of addressing that particular memory. So there's something that's called a negative cognition, and that might be a, a negative core belief that our clients have of themselves. Um, that brought them to therapy. And then we try to install a more positive cognitive belief of what they would actually like to think um, in that particular situation. So sometimes obviously we'll be kind of opposite of each other, right? Um, just to make sure that they're, they're able to, again, that memory to be stored in a more adaptive manner. And 8.4 has to do with reevaluating the treatment results and just make sure that it was an effective uh, treatment altogether. So even though it's eight phases, it doesn't always go like one session, you know, two session, three sessions. Sometimes a person might be stuck in phase two, the preparation for a long time, depending on if there were some type of disassociation and they're just outside of that window of tolerance that we spoke about. So we want to make sure that they're okay and they're able to continue on with treatment because obviously we want to help them to get through the entire process. So each phase could take longer. Some, it might be, you know, one, two, three, four type thing, but it really depends on the severity, the complexity of the case. So, you know, a lot of the time when people hear that term trauma, they think of, you know, maybe someone uh, that might be assaulted or, or PTSD. And obviously, yes, those are definitely traumatic events are situations that a person might have gone through. But what about situations where maybe someone that, you know, as a child being in school, they might have been bullied? You know, some people think that that's just a natural part of growing up in which, yes, I do agree, many students experience bullying, 
But depending on the individual, depending on how they process that experience, it definitely can affect them in their adulthood. Because of that, then yes, that bullying could have been a traumatic event for them, right? So anything that might that you might have experienced that affect your daily functioning and you have a difficult time to either cope with or, or, or to address um, effectively in your adulthood could have been a traumatic event. So trauma is packaged in many, many different shapes, size, and forms. And the thing about it, which makes it so unique, what might be traumatic to me might not be traumatic to you. Maybe I was more of a sensitive person, more emotional, whereas maybe that wasn't your case growing up. So the way how I dealt with certain situation, it it was just more of a traumatic experience altogether for me. So it really depends on whom we're speaking about and how they might have internalized um, that experience. And that could definitely affect the way how they deal with the situation um, later on in life. So to answer your question about a big T and a small T, a big T has to do with those more, uh, I guess, a bigger type of um, traumatic events, like we spoke about maybe PTSD, maybe you know, someone that might have been um, sexually assaulted, um, you know, certain experiences that was tend to be more traumatic versus something that, yes, it was a traumatic experience, but it might not have reaped that result or it might not have been as traumatic as, you know, something more bigger, <laughs> like what we just mentioned. And your empathy comes off so, so well, and you seem so comfortable with this process. And I can see how clients can be really comfortable with you. Is there anything you would um, share with listeners of what questions they need to ask providers to help them know if that's a good fit that they're going into the counseling session? In terms of, well, one of the first thing is really, um, I do believe that when it comes to our therapeutic relationships, with our client and therapist client, right? Um, it's so important for that relationship to to be a good fit, you know? Um, and sometimes I'm sure you hear it and, and, and clients have mentioned it and, and so forth that they might not, a person's style might be a little bit different from how that person or client is. Because um, even, even with EMDR, we have many different approaches and one of the things that I would say is like for some EMDR therapists, they might have a different function in terms of maybe integrating a different type of a modality as well. Sometimes you'll see that. And sometimes they might specialize in a specific area of EMDR. So maybe identifying what area that therapist specializes in. And depending on what it is that you are experiencing, seeing if it makes sense. Because you do have some, for example, that maybe they specialize in attachment, ish, you know, attachment um, or disassociation or, or, you know, just childhood trauma. So there's different specialities even on the umbrella of EMDR. So depending on what it is that you're experiencing, I think it's good to also know what it is that your therapist specializes in. And that would be a good way to start knowing if, if that's a good fit. 
Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners or anything that you feel is um, important for them to know? Well, I mean, for the most part, you know, we're there to help, you know, that that's our job. And, and sometimes I feel like um, for some of our clients or for someone that might be on the fence, not sure if they should or shouldn't, um, just the simple fact of being on that fence, why are you on that fence? You know, there might be something that's affecting you. There might be something that's causing you to think that maybe, you know, I need to speak with someone further and it doesn't hurt to do so. So just a simple idea that you might be entertaining that idea or, or that thought about moving forward is okay to do so. And it's okay for you to feel better. It's okay for you to make sure that you're in a good place in your life. And another analogy I love to give is, you know, for many of our listeners, they might be caregivers, having kids, maybe taking care of their parents, you know, might even be having family members or dealing with families and so forth and so forth. But when you're on a plane and we're getting ready to take off, you know, one of the things that they start talking about is in the case of an emergency and that face mask, that oxygen mask dropped down, the first person they say to put it on is who? To put it on yourself. Because in order to you to be the best version and to be in your best health, you need to make sure that you're okay before you could do so for someone else. So it's okay to think about yourself and just, you know, provide whatever is needed in order for you to be that best version of yourself. So don't hesitate to seek help if you feel that's something that you'd benefit from. Well, you've shared so much great information and, um, this is really great for our listeners to hear and to feel comfortable about taking the next step for themselves. So we thank you so much for um, you know sharing this time with us and with our listeners. And we want to thank our listeners for taking this time to listen with us. And we'll meet you back here. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the Counseling Podcast with Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes. Please take this time to thank yourself for putting in the work. If this episode impacted you in any way, let us know with a loving and honest review. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation from today, you can reach out to us at thecounselingpodcast at gmail.com and we can answer your questions right here on the show. Or you can find Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes on Instagram at docjacqueline and at Dr. Jeremiah Stokes.